hello and welcome to Cookie Pocket. This is episode 89. Um, I am joined today by my usual co-host, Mitchell and Christian. And also, uh, this is our, our second guested episode of the season. Uh, so we, we have a guest today, uh, a mysterious man. Would you care to introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So I'm um, Connor Drake. and I'm, I'm guesting on Cookie Pocket. Yes. Hey, <laughs> I'm guessing on Cookie Pocket. Would I'm you bad. would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself, or, or are you okay with that? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, I am a filmmaker, mostly focusing on camera and lighting, but I write stuff sometimes, and I direct stuff. And um, look me up, please, God, if you're giving people work <laughs> in the Baltimore area. <laughs> Alrighty, yeah, Connor of I and, and I have worked together quite a few times. Uh, most recently, um, if you donated to the search for Alexander, uh, Connor was the cinematographer on the tavern section of that mm. film. The search yeah. for Alexander coming to a YouTube channel near you, maybe next year. Hopefully <laughs> next year. We'll see. Um, okay, now in, enough of the rigmarole. It's time to move on to our discussion uh, because today we are talking about Black Sabbath from 1963. Uh, this is a film directed by Mario Bava, who is sort of known unofficially as the father of Italian horror. Um, and this is yeah, an sure. anthology film. <laughs> this is an anthology film uh, hosted by Boris Karloff, a British horror legend in which there are three different sort of campfire horror stories executed in slightly different ways each time. Um, but it's, it's sort of your, your typical 60s anthology horror film. Uh, I've brought Italian horror to the table a couple times on the podcast, and it's been met with uh, scathing derision on both <laughs> occasions. So this time around, I was trying to go for something maybe a little quainter, uh, but it seems that uh, my <laughs> attempts up. were unsuccessful. <laughs> so I think that's a good segue. Uh, what did you guys think of Black Sabbath in general? Just your overall thoughts on the film. Well, c can I give you a, a two-word recap really quick? <laughs> Insatiably horny. <laughs> yes! Yes! See, this guy gets it. All right. <laughs> but that, that's not a good thing. <laughs> if, if I leave a horror film and my thoughts are, you're too horny and not, oh, that was spooky, <laughs> you oh messed God. up somewhere along the way. Okay. All right, I, I'm intrigued. Mitchell Christian, would you agree with this insatiably horny uh, subtitle? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too insatiable. Like you gotta find something else to do. Of it, honestly. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. You know what, Christian can go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. I guess. I'm I'll just dive into the deep end here, since we're all just kind of. Uh, uh, treading water. Um, <laughs> well, I will say um, uh, the the derision that that Zach is uh, referencing in our prior uh, explorations of Italian horror has mostly been delivered by me. I think Mitchell has been yes. much more d diplomatic and measured in his assessment of these things than I have. And um, I will say that of the three Italian horrors I've been subjected to. Uh, Yes, that was intentional, Zach. <laughs> this one was the uh, least hateful to me. So there you go. Um, I I uh, 
landed on a two out of five for this um, because it's not it's not bad enough to be a one. I'm not going to be a total jerk to you, Zach. Come on, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I even admittedly like parts of the second segment. I was like a willing and interested audience member for like sometimes, which was which was nice. Um, the first segment um, with the whole phone call thing, I think maybe. Maybe like 10 minutes into it, I just got this idea of this like sketch comedy spoof of these horror movies where there are these creepy guys calling calling women over the phone like we saw in Black Christmas and has been done, uh, I'm sure, a million other times. Um, I just I just couldn't shake the idea of why why don't they just stop answering the phone and and like lock the door <laughs> like what if they just <laughs> went to bed and it was all okay? <laughs> and I was very amused by this. Uh, um, um, what was it called? The thoughts that are obtrusive. Hypothetical. Obtrusive, I don't know. Oh. Uh, hypothetical. Sure. Um, that just distracted me. But um, no. Uh, on on a critical level, I, I thought the the performances in section one left a lot to be desired. And um, you know, I hate dubbing, and I find it very distracting. Um, but uh, I mean, Boris Karloff is just obviously the best performer of the bunch, and that does a lot for uh, the second segment. Um, you know, it's not my thing. But uh, if Italian horror is your thing, I'm sure that this is t- totally fine and, and maybe sometimes fun, uh, but it's, it's really just so not for me, and I, 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 I find it kind of boring a lot of the time. So two out of five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you, except for Boris Karloff being good. Ooh. That was just like, I, I did not vibe with any of the performances until the the third piece the the woman that played the nerf that the nerf the nurse <laughs> sold it for me or nothing where i was just like okay it's it's the only one that i think worked narratively the only one where i think the cinematography worked and with like actual purposeful sound design and not just mm. like whatever they decided to do the only thing that killed it for me was the um, the the dead woman. No generous air quotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> woman <laughs> with the just like grotesque plastic puppet that they're like, yeah, this is a corpse. <laughs> oh, see, I I okay. Drop of water is my favorite, uh, largely yeah. due to the reasons that you mentioned, Connor. I think that that one is holds together the best as like a cohesive whole, and I think there's a lot of great visual ideas in that one. I really love. Um, the nurse in the drop of water, there's like a neon sign outside her apartment that like dims and brightens. I think that's a great visual motif. I, I, for I later. will admit, mm-hmm. I didn't like that. Oh no. That I was just like, cause I didn't know what it was supposed to be. I was like, is this like the moonlight with trees blowing in front of it? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> but it was also the least horny. <laughs> of, of the three films, oh. it's the only one where nobody's horny hmm. and it was the best. And I think that's why. <laughs> Maybe it's a neon sign for the club next door. Yeah, I don't think we see what the neon sign is for. But it, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, realistically, why would you ever, like, leave your curtains wide open at the very least when you have that sign outside your window? But I, I think it makes for a, a very interesting effect. Certainly when the corpse starts to move around and it's sort of bathed in darkness and then comes out and bathed in darkness and comes out. And I, I even like the corpse. Um I don't think it's meant to necessarily be realistic. It's just sort of this grotesque idea of like what does a what does a ghoul look like? Um and so I, I kind of like that that representation of that idea at least. Um I, I, let's 
so we've we've kind of discussed favorites and least favorites. Um, but I, I'm gonna go, we discussed an anthology earlier in the season when we talked about Akira Kurosawa's dreams. So I, I want to address a similar question that we that we talked about there. Um, kind of more specifically, did you have like a favorite, or if you've already talked about a favorite, a least favorite of these sketches? Which did you think worked the best and and the worst, respectively? I guess. I like. I personally liked the Vertilac the best, but I think the drop of water or a drop of water was the best made one, and I felt like it was the most cohesive, and it felt like it wasn't restrained to, like, a linear storyline, I guess. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of, like, leaning towards saying that, because I guess I wasn't eagerly anticipating what the next, like, narrative beat was going to be for uh, the telephone one, because you kind of just, I mean, it, it really feels like nothing's happening until something happens, I guess. And then for a drop of water, it kind of feels like there's a buildup and there's like a sense of suspense. And then the Vertilac felt, maybe it's like a bias because it's in like multiple locations and it's more expansive physically. But I do think that the Vertilac was like the most delving into whatever story it was replicating, I guess. And I felt like the, like the picking off one by one kind of slasher, I guess, sort of thing kind of worked out for me. And I felt like that was what was carrying the suspense the whole time. And also I felt like it had the most varied acting too. And I felt like the characters had the most change of emotions in that one. Um, but on the other hand, I do think a drop of water probably is like the best, is the most well-made one. And like the telephone ones are so unremarkable and I just, it's the neat idea, but it like, it doesn't, I don't know. I guess the, the punchline really doesn't hit at all for me. Hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I'm on similar footing, though. I, I would just say that the, the Vertiloc is, is, in my opinion, the best, uh, in addition to being my favorite. Um, and in retrospect, I feel kind of silly admitting this, but, but just the, uh, the way the, the plot is structured, I, I felt like I had uh, unanswered questions and was, was marginally curious in, in learning those answers. Like, um, the whole timing of it... Um, his saying that if he's if he returns um, more than five days later, um, don't don't let him in or, or kill him or whatever it was, and he returns like like minutes too late. Like to me, that is that is very interesting and um, more complicated than um, than Uga Booga on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and uh, and also in retrospect, uh, I feel s- silly admitting this. It's probably fairly predictable but i i was genuinely like oh maybe i wonder who's going to get uh bitten who i wonder what will happen to all of these people mm-hmm. i wonder who will be victimized and who won't and if somebody will prevail over this guy i i feel like it plays out in probably the most predictable manner but um i don't know i feel like there was a, a wide enough range of possibilities for suspense to at least work itself over a, a willing audience member and um but I, I don't know if the ending completely works because like they're all they're all just kind of like bitten and then it's just kind of <laughs> another intrusive thought <laughs> to me it was just like oh now they can all just be a, a big happy vertical <laughs> family <together." laughs> it doesn't matter anymore if they're all um, blood sucking crazies <laughs> and and I will echo what Mitchell said about how how the performances feel more various and that like um I think the reason that the telephone one doesn't work for me is because I get nothing from any of the performers, really. Um, hmm. 
and it, I mean, it's just so, I feel like they're all very bare bones and, um, and not that we need any sort of like dense background story for these characters, but they're, um, I mean, these two women, we, we, we get this like vague sense that they were friends and that they, they were fighting or, or whatever, but uh, I just, it's like, uh, I think I've said this before when we were talking about one of the other Italian horror films. It's like really, really well uh, uh, choreographed action with characters that you just don't care about at all. Um, like, hmm. e- even if the situation is interesting, if um, derivative, um, I just I just don't care if I, if I don't like or, or at least have opinions about the characters in it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I will say... The, the the Vertilac was probably my least favorite, oh, wow. okay. which which I'm getting the sense is, is an unpopular opinion. But I, I I think the performances didn't work for me, and the the pacing just stopped me from feeling any sense of suspense. Where I was like, well, he's going to come back, and he's going to be the vampire thing, mm-hmm. and then he's going to kill somebody, and then they're going to, and it's just like da 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 da. No. Of course, the couple that apparently fell madly in love in yes. like the course of four <laughs> hours isn't going to make it out alive. But I, I, I think it could have worked very well to me in, in the format of a feature film where you have more time to get to know the characters, you have more time to build suspense and that expansive world. Whereas I don't think the, the, the phone call or the, the drop of water would have worked as a larger narrative because they're so kind of condensed. Mm-hmm. And like drop of water, I think that really benefits it. The phone call, I really had no idea what was going on with it. And the only reason it's not my least favorite is that I've just decided my own head canon is that it's a lesbian love story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and oh, that, well, it and, is, and that that's like the whole thing for me. That like yeah. she's calling her ex girlfriend, pretending to be her ex girlfriend's ex boyfriend being like a creepy weirdo so that oh she's gonna come running back to me and then her plot gets torn apart because the dude is actually there yeah and you know ends up killing her yeah and that that adds depth to it but none of that is actually in the script um at least not not literally Mm -hmm. so i've just placed my own kind of queer filter over it to make it palatable for me as an audience member that is Mm -hmm. more interesting well, yeah. apparently, <laughs> um, I have not read a copy of the script myself, but apparently that stuff is actually in the film. And mm-hmm. Frank, uh, not not sorry, the film, not in the in the original script. But since it's 1963, they can't necessarily put that in the text of the film, so they've got to try and imply it, uh, which I think kind of comes off, but also kind of not. It's a little loose. It depends what filter you apply to it. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, additionally in the script, um, which they certainly couldn't say in the text. Um, was uh, Frank is not only uh, Rosie's ex-boyfriend, he's also her pimp, um, which <laughs> adds another layer to it as well. Um, I, uh-huh. I kind of agree with you, Connor, that I think the Vertiloc is my least favorite, and I, I, I like Boris Karloff. Um, I do think, I think we all watched the Italian version of this film, which uh, dubbing Boris Karloff in Italian, I think kind of robs him of one of his greatest strengths as an actor, which is his voice, because he does have a very good kind of spooky voice, um, which in this he's just dubbed with some high-pitched Italian man, um, which I, I don't think has nearly the uh, the impression that he would if, if he'd been able to speak in his own language, in his own voice. Um, Drop of Water is my favorite, and I, I really... The impression seems to have been that the telephone was kind of middling, but I, I like the telephone quite a bit. Um, it, 
it, it is kind of basic, I think. Um, but I, th- I think in an, in an anthology, really, the stories should be sort of basic, uh, especially in anthology horror film, um, because I mentioned in the intro, but to me, th- these just feel like campfire ghost stories, and the way that most ghost stories start, you just start with the characters. Um, a lot of the time, you don't necessarily get an introduction of like, oh, and... Rosie's mother died when she was 13, but she continued to try to find some way to... You're just... You're there with Rosie, and kind of the atmosphere is what gets you into the scares. Um, I also think that in terms of production uh, and direction and cinematography, I think the telephone and the drop of water are much more interesting than the Vertilac. Um, The Vertilac, a lot of it is just these flat two shots inside the cabin or inside, like, the crypt... Um, and I, I think, like, for instance, the shot in the telephone where they do the snap zoom to the uh, the blinds as Frank is peering in, I think that shot is more creative and spookier than, than anything in the Vertilock. Uh Connor, you were shaking your head. Do Zach, you, do you I'm, I'm tired of your snapshots, Zach. I don't <laughs> care, okay? You could do that like, with anything and say that it's creepy, okay? <laughs> right? Like, okay. The telephone, in my opinion, was like the sloppiest cinemato- cinematographically, however you pronounce it, and lighting-wise. I was just like, this is a mess. Like, one, how many times is she going to turn off and on all of the lights in her house? <laughs> she only does it twice! <laughs> Just make a decision and go with it. And then the fact that, like, none of the... They're trying to motivate their lighting, but none of the lighting is actually coming from the direction of any of the sources in the house. And, like, oh, we did one smash zoom. Like, that makes us cool. (laughs) Whereas... I think in, in the Vertilac, you had all of those lovely, like, proscenium wides that are lit like it's a stage play. And that's what I really enjoyed, is you got creative with, like, the blue moonlight and then the firelight coming up. And, and to me, that made lots of fun, like, interplay with shadows and kind of color contrast that I, I really enjoyed. Like, I, I think the visuals were the the saving grace of the Vertilac for me. Still my least favorite of the three, but mm-hmm. visually, I, I think it stood on its own two feet. Whereas telephone was just like trashed here. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> I, I will say I like um, I like the lighting in the Vertilac for the most part. Uh, when I was referring to the cinematography in um, the telephone, I think I'm talking more about like the camera movements and whatnot. I, I do think I like the purples and blues and the firelight in the Vertilac. I do. There's a couple shots outside when he's moving around from like the house to the stables where it's incredibly obvious that the moon is just like a big white 1K or, or, or higher. You would know the, the wattage more than I would. Um, just Numbers. positioned up at the top. Um, and that distracts me. Um, I do wish, I wish I could have found a better print of this movie for us all to watch. Um, because I have seen shots like stills from prints of the Italian color grade which look really, really beautiful and really pop, especially in the Vertiloc, more than the print that we had here uh, that I think we all watched, which was on either Plex or Canopy. Um, I still think it looks good. I think it looks all right, but uh, I look at the rich colors and shots I've seen, and I think, ah, I would have I rather seen that. Uh, now, something that we've also all touched upon, at least a little bit, or, or maybe it's just me and Christian now that I think about it, <laughs> but we talked about the dubbing and the voices. Um, so as... 
I've ranted on about to everybody here in different situations, I think. The, the standard in Italian cinema for a long time was that they didn't record any sound on set and then they dubbed everything in post. I'm introducing this as well for the audience, not just for us. <laughs> um, which means that you can watch any version of, Italian, of an Italian film from this time period and it's still going to be dubbed um, because they weren't recording anything, uh, regardless of what accent or, or what language the, uh, the actor was speaking in. So... I just kind of wanted to, but actually, let me, let me continue with my information here. This is the first Italian film we've watched on this show that we've watched it in Italian instead of dubbed into English. So I was curious as to uh, Mitchell and Christian, how, that how you felt that affected your viewing compared to the other English dubbed Italian films we've watched. And, and for Connor, how do you think the dubbing affected your viewing in general? Did you find it distracting or were you able to kind of coast with it? Anyone can go first. <laughs> okay, I'll jump in. Um, okay. I, I wish I could say that that it was better this time around, but I think it just it just gave me another layer of of uh, of like navigation because I, mm. I mean, when it's dubbed in English, it's, it's like fine, okay, uh, I, I you hear it, but when it's uh, dubbed in Italian, and then you also have to read the subtitles, and I don't know if you guys had this issue on Plex, but. I felt like by the time we got to the third segment, the subtitles were running like a little bit late. Like a mm. character would, would oh, finish, no. would like finish uh, her sentence, and then like another like third of a second would go by, and then the sentence would show up in the subtitle. And this was mostly only an issue in the third segment, and not consistently terrible, but was was enough to be annoying. Um, and and I'll say what I've said in, in previous uh, recordings of Italian horror, which is that I accept that this is the standard for, for Italian cinema, but um, Italian cinema mu must also accept where I'm coming from and what, what my <laughs> standards are and what I'm used to in most of the cinema I consume, and it is not dubbing. And um, to be very clear, my issue is not, I'm not like, one of these people that won't watch a foreign film because it's I don't want to read subtitles or, or think about that stuff. I'm absolutely not one of those people. Um, I think Akira Kurosawa is my most watched director. Um, but it's... No, I, I think it was it was worse. Uh, the, the dubbing... I, I was more used to it because at this point I've consumed it more. But um, if I'm trying to compare more dispassionately, I think it was worse that it was dubbed so the 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 sound is not synced with the mouth movements and the physicality of the actors and then it's not in the language you can comprehend and then you also have to read the subtitle so it was like three tiers of of imperfect understanding as opposed to one or two so um yeah i i was more used to accepting how how, how that makes it more stilted to me or or more is lost in translation but uh no it did it did still bother me Okay. Yeah, I, I I'm on the exact same page. I think it really, it really detracts from the fact that you're, you're trying to immerse yourself in this environment, especially with how beautiful the visuals were and like really basically how flawless all of the prop setup and everything was. It seemed like everything was very intricately put together on the sets, and I think it kind of just detracts from the entire film and just being invested in the characters at all or what the stress they're going through when you're trying to understand what the hell they're saying. <laughs> I, I, I disagree. I'm, I'm going to sound here this is apparently already understood by everybody else. I did not realize it was dubbed in post. Hey! Wow. wow. <laughs> I, 
I think for me, I was like watching it and I've noticed it with older films before where you're like, yeah, the sync isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. And then because I was already reading subtitles, I think for me it was like it's like watching anime where I'm just like, (laughs) I'm going to look at the pretty picture and then I'm going to read the subtitles and I'm not going to think too much about like the the actors and what they're doing. It's just like, yeah, I I, I see the face. I see the pretty thing. I get the story from the little words on the bottom and I just kind of vibe. Um, and I, I also, and this is this is gonna make me sound stupid. I was like, I didn't know Ka- Boris Karloff spoke Italian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, I, I wasn't that fooled um, by by the film, <laughs> um, but I do think, and also, I just I, I watch a lot of Jolly. I watch a lot of Italian films. I actually enjoy this genre, and I'm not forced to watch it every summer by my friend. Um, <laughs> So for me, I, I'm just kind of blind to it at this point. Just it's dubbed, and I'm okay with it. I, I will say though, a lot of the available copies of Jolly that I watch are in English, and I do think that it's easier, or it's it's less distracting, at least I'll say, um, to see them in Italian with subtitles than it is in the English, because a lot of the time. Um, these films are dubbed by like a, in English at least by a totally different team to the people who actually put the film together so the default English line delivery in a lot of these Italian horror films is like shrieking at the top of your lungs or I don't know like a, a very dead level that's, that's equivalent or comparable to like a flight attendant announcing announcing the safety rules on a plane <laughs> uh like a, i find that when these are dubbed into english there's a much bigger emotional disconnect for me between the line delivery and the performance a lot of the time and this also might be because i know english and i don't understand italian but at least for me <laughs> i i didn't find that with with this film um where it did feel to me that Okay, that line line delivery clearly doesn't match the lips necessarily, but it seems to match the intention and the emotion. And ultimately, I think that's kind of what's important, at at least for me, um, at the end of the day. Uh, Now, something I don't think any of us have brought up, which I do really want to talk about, is that this film, there's the three segments. There's an introduction by Boris Karloff, where he's standing in a a purple void. Um, And then there's the three segments. And then there's kind of a little closer where Boris Karloff is in his Verdelot costume and he says ooh the vampires might get you to to the viewer Um, and then we have kind of this like winking self-aware ending as the camera pulls out and we see the camera crew and we see that he's riding a fake horse and we see crew members running around with tree branches that kind of adds it establishes the artifice of the film uh, which was a term that came up a lot on the search for Alexander, at least the segment that Connor and I shot together. So I just wanted to ask, what did you think of that ending? Uh, and do you think it works with the tone of the rest of the film, or did that kind of tank the emotion or the or the, or the potential eeriness of the ending of the drop of water for you? I think if you're looking at it from the perspective of campfire stories, like through that lens, I think it works where you're like at the end of a campfire story, you go and that's it and everybody like looks around and you're like "Ooh, yeah that was spooky but (laughs) i i i did not like it and it it put this image in my head where i was like 
Boris Karloff just like reminded me of Bill Hader for some reason in that moment, <laughs> like at the end of like an SNL skit, going like hee hee hee, wasn't this so much fun? And then, like the camera pulls back and the audience applauds, and you're like, okay, and now we're done. Yeah. Okay, it is weirdly similar actually. Now that you mention it, every now and then on an SNL sketch. They don't do it all the time, but they do sometimes cut to that wider back of the studio shot where you see the audience and the crew, too. Um, you might have ruined the ending of this film for me, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I will use... Yeah. Oh, sorry. No. No, Christian. No. I will use an analogy <laughs> um, with uh, Ramstein America for that music video, which is criticism of uh, the Iraq War. And it's, <laughs> I know, no, no, don't worry, Connor, don't worry. I'm not going to get into politics. Um, and uh, basically, they're playing on the moon, right? They're supposed to be the, the astronauts that are on the moon, like Neil Armstrong and such, Buzz Aldrin and company. And um, at the very end, they, they have the camera pull out, and they're put it, seeing them all point, like, do the makeup and everything, and they show all the cameras and all the things. So it's playing into the fact that America is always showing a facade and that, you know, it's just like the moon landing is fake, you know. So it played a role in the actual plot of the video. And mm -hmm. I think just being a meme and just saying, like, oh, we do production, and it's isn't it fun to film and then just show everything, <laughs> I feel like there's really not any point to that other than that. And I don't, I, I feel like any film could do that. And if we could just, anybody who's supporting it could just say, isn't that great that they filmed the film, you know? So it does, <laughs> that's why it didn't work for me. Hmm. Okay. I, so weird, weird tangent. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll <laughs> no, get no, back to the actual conversation. <laughs> but talking about the moon landing being fake, <laughs> it is actually, it is not cinematically possible to have faked the moon landing. <laughs> yes, At okay. the time in the 60s, <laughs> yeah. we could not have had a light big enough and bright enough to make it look like the surface of the moon within a studio <laughs> space. Yeah. Like, yes. flat-out impossible. Mm -hmm. um, Even so with yeah, Stanley Kubrick potentially cool. directing. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, Christian. Oh, that's, that's, that's good to know. We, <laughs> Thank you. We invite tangents on this show. Yeah, that's... always. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I think I kind of agree. Uh, it didn't work. The, the like pulling out and showing the the set or whatever I, I wasn't a fan of that but it wasn't it was just kind of like yet another point where I was just immediately realized how much the the it wasn't for me the whole thing just was not for me and I and I was like I immediately understood like oh I see that some people like this like campfire tongue-in-cheek uh, thing and um, no it, it it reminded me of um, uh, my my dad has this has this uh, opinion that when he sees a, a stage show or, or a musical or what have you, and uh, immediately after the curtain call, if the actors start speaking to the audience as themselves, um, be it for like a charitable purpose or like thank you for coming or whatever something like that, uh, he dislikes that because it it breaks the immersion of of what you just witnessed and it 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 sort of brings everything back down to to a baser level than than before. Um, the one thing I'll say in defense of, of uh, Black Sabbath is I think I think the decision to do that kind of reflects um, a, a self-perception of, of like campiness and uh, a very like non-pretentious uh, way of, of approaching this this type of storytelling which I respect even though I disagree with it and, and don't enjoy it if that makes sense hmm okay. 
so yeah, mentioning the immersion idea, I, th I think the ending almost reveals, tying into the campfire stories idea, Connor, that the, the point of the movie isn't necessarily to immerse you, when you get to the end, at mm -hmm. least. I, I think like, you know, telling scary stories around the campfire, you get to the end, and the final message is, oh, and this is just a story. Um, and this has all just kind of been in good fun. We've been having fun making this movie. You've, hypothetically, been having fun <laughs> watching this movie. Um, and it, hasn't this all been uh, just a good laugh? Uh, and, and personally, I really enjoy that. Um, I, I think my enjoyment of the ending has probably increased uh, now that I make films and have like been on sets. I first saw this film when I was probably like 12 or 13. And at the time, I had very little interest in filmmaking, so I, I think the ending to me probably read as just, what? Why? Um, but, but now that I think I'm more engaged in that kind of storytelling, I, I sort of understand and appreciate that choice more for, for what it is. Um, I can definitely understand somebody saying, oh, it, it ruined my immersion, because, you know, Boris Karloff was the Vertiloc, and now he's riding a hobby horse, and that's not scary. Um, but I think ultimately that's kind of the point, and at least for me, that that point works. Um, before we sort of segue into our, our closing segments here today, I, I do want to, and this is not just me dogpiling on Christian, but I, I do want to <laughs> kind of mention, Christian, your letterbox review, sure. um, where you described this uh -oh. as being a uh, an entry in a trashy subgenre. Um, so I, I just want to ask the rest of the group here today, um, and this is not Do a conversation we think where are trashy. Well, yeah. Would you, would you describe this film as being trashy? Because I can definitely understand it being corny or not especially immersive, but trashy to me is a very specific kind of film, um, and I don't necessarily know if it fits Black Sabbath. But I'm interested to hear what the rest of you guys think. And Christian, maybe that's not what you meant, so I'm interested to hear from you yeah, as well. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll hop in at the end after you all have said your pieces. Yeah. Sure. Mid. Mid? Okay. <laughs> it's, it's mid. <laughs> yeah, I think it's campy. I don't think it's trashy. I, I can. I think out of all the Italian horror I've seen so far, maybe it's Zach's fault. I don't know. But I think <laughs> <laughs> this has been like, it feels the most like there is a lot of thought put in the production and like, it didn't feel like it felt like a lot more of the campiness was intentional, I'll say. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's I can better understand why people enjoy that so much. And the tongue in cheek stuff, like Christian said, I think that's what makes it special. And I can understand that. But a lot of what makes it special to me does not <laughs> does not does not come across to me. <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> See, that's, I, I think if the other two films would have kept up the... And I, I don't know why I keep bringing this up. If the other... If, if the last two parts of the anthology would have been as blatantly and overtly horny as the first one, I think we might have gotten into trashy territory. Because in the first one, like, she's on the phone and the person on the phone is like, I'm looking at your smooth legs and thinking about wringing your supple neck between my hands. It's like, okay that's almost crossing the line and it's like if, if you have that and then you start to get into like pointless nudity or like gratuitous violence then you're like yeah this is like trash this is just trashy kind of pulpy fiction for the sake of like i'm gonna walk in and go ah and walk out but i i, I think they, they pulled back from that precipice 
um, before it was too late. Okay. Yeah, and and you know I mostly agree. Um, I will uh, be slightly pedantic and point out that the the adjective trashy was applied to the subgenre of of sure. Italian horror, not the specific <laughs> entry. Um, and I do think it more accurate, accurately reflects something like Zombie Two, as as Mitchell whispered a, a yes. few seconds ago. Um, and I mostly just did it to, to to get Zach all riled up and to and to to make a a, a silly little, little talking point. Damn, <laughs> you've been had. Even though that's even though it, it's, I mean, I'm, I I can only uh, uh, lawyer my way out of this to some extent. It's an inherently derisive <laughs> way to describe something, but I I also think I think that they're self aware of of their campy or trashiness or or whatever label. Whatever on that scale of like um, unrefined uh, entertainment, wherever you want to describe it, I think they're uh, fully aware of of where they stand there. Um, so, uh, if I had made that comment uh, two years ago, I'm sure it would have been made in in uh, righteous anger. But um, uh, this year, I just saw it as a uh, uh, an honest appraisal and probably harsh, but I don't think too far from from where the directors and and uh the the creators would would assess themselves really hmm. okay okay because <laughs> i i will say um i don't think all italian horror can escape the the trashy uh description um to clear things up a little bit maybe for connor and for our viewers we mentioned zombie 2 we've never reviewed zombie 2 Zombie 2 is an Italian horror <laughs> film that I showed Christian Mitchell and a friend of ours a couple of years ago. It was the first Italian film I'd ever showed any of them, and I think it had a lasting negative impact on their respect <laughs> for me. Um, because that's a very trashy film. Um, I think it's a successfully trashy film that kind of makes something out of that. But I will fully say it's trashy. Uh, the Beyond, which we talked about last season, that is a trashy Italian horror film. I really like it, and I think it works, but it's sloppy, it's trashy. Um, it, it was shot without a shooting script, just as the director and the cinematographer and the special effects makeup artist went, hey, I wonder if we can do this thing. Can we, like, poke an eye out of somebody's head, like, from the back? Let's try it. Um, and they did, and I think it's cool, but I can totally see how that could be described as trashy. Um, but, but Black Sabbath, I think, to me, kind of like you mentioned, Mitchell, it's so detailed and feels so deliberate to me that I, I think trashy uh, would not be how I would describe it, at least. I think about, like, in The Drop of Water, there's... We talked about the lighting, but the production design, I think, in The Drop of Water is gorgeous. Um, in the old woman's, like, bedroom where she dies, the camera never really lingers on it, but there's all these, like, baby dolls all over the room and just, like, newspaper clippings everywhere... Um, and there's just so much detail packed into this one location that the film isn't even keen to necessarily show off and go, hey, here's where the budget went. <laughs> but it's just there to kind of benefit the film. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, to me, this has a lot in common uh, tonally um, with something like uh, a Hammer horror film or The Curse of Frankenstein or something like that. Um, and I think... It can't be pulpy, maybe, but but trashy feels a little disingenuous to me, at least. So I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh, Connor, did you have something you wanted to mention? Well, I, look, I, I was going to be really uh, nitpicky, and I decided not to interrupt <laughs> you, but the, the camera definitely did linger on the production design in, like, every single 
like short not not i think in like a gratuitous way it's not like we were getting inserts of all the cool stuff yes but it was just like to me what production design should be where it 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 built the world and it looked very nice but not in a way that ever detracted from what the shot was about yes so it's it's like you you have the spooky doll on the floor when she's like looking for the ring in the drop of water Mm -hmm. and then it's just like another little spooky thing in what otherwise would have just been a shot of her like scrambling on the ground where it, it just adds a little bit of atmosphere um, you know I- into the shot that otherwise could become like generic yeah mm-hmm. okay I-, I agree with you there connor they're, they're they're smart in like showing their production design but it's always in service to the 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 point of the shot we get these like nice wide shots of characters moving through the setting and we see the setting in that shot because that's what the characters are moving through. Or it's, um, it's, it's like in the Vertilac, like there's a weapon in every interior shot hanging mm-hmm. on the walls. Like mm-hmm. even in the guest bedroom, there's like two swords and a musket. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just like builds that like, this is a violent little short where like everybody is armed and they're kind of paranoid in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, where it's, it's you know, just, just small little details. Yeah. I, I hadn't even noticed that about the Vertilac personally, but you are right about that now that I think back to it. Um, and I guess... I mean, I really love Rose's apartment. Um, I would love to live there. But I do think the, the telephone, not necessarily Rosie there. This is not just me being horny. Um, but <laughs> not I, just. Not I, just. I will, oh, no. Um, Bonk, Zach. <laughs> but I, I will, uh, I guess, uh, relent that the production design in the telephone is probably the least interesting of, of the three shorts, thinking back. Uh, that kind of wraps up all of my questions. Do we have any other final thoughts on the film or anything we haven't mentioned before we transition kind of into into the rundown? I'll mention the costume design in the Vertilac um, stuck Shoot. out, especially. It, it felt immediately like a different time and a different, just entirely different place, and not to mention that it wasn't just Eastern Europe, it was Serbia, so I thought that was a cool touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, Christian, I'll you just look like uh, you're back. yeah, no, I'll just. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad Mitchell mentioned the Serbia thing. Um, I'll just say my uh, my heritage. I am uh, I am like mostly <laughs> Serbian and then second mostly Italian. So I feel very justified in being uh, hateful towards these demographics. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can't cancel me because I'm one of them. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you serbian connor no i i was gonna make a, a very insensitive joke okay any any final thoughts though, connor outside of that insensitive joke <laughs> no i mean i i i think i said uh i i said everything i had to say okay cool. Alrighty. um well yeah i as usual with these italian horror films i come out the other side being the person who really enjoyed the film. I I like Black Sabbath a lot. For me, it's a four out of five film. I think it's great. Um, I particularly like watching it around Halloween. Um, I I think it's a a good film for kind of that spirit of the season. Uh, For me, Halloween and October, they're all about kind of telling these ghost stories with a little lighthearted edge uh, where nobody's really ever going to get frightened too bad. Uh, And so I think Black Sabbath sort of works for that where there's eerie moments and there's little shots 
there must be like five or six shots throughout this whole film where I went, oh, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's going to be traumatized. Uh, it's, it's a good bit of fun horror, uh, at least for me. Um, alrighty. So we are going to transition now into the rundown, our longest lasting additional segment on Cookie Pocket. Uh, Mitchell, would you care to introduce the rundown? A minute. We destroy Christian. Oh no! Stuff <laughs> related to the film, not not in a insatiably horny way, but in a cookie pocket way. Connor, what have you done to this podcast? My own I knew creation. it was a bad idea. Inviting you on. <laughs> so yeah. That's okay, uh, and Connor, I believe you should have the the list for this or a copy of the list. Oh yeah, at least. I'm I'm I am ready to destroy <laughs> Christian. <laughs> Okay, uh, what order are we gonna go in for these, Mitchell? Who's first, uh, second, and third? Um, I'll go first, <laughs> then Zach, then Connor. We're doing it. Okay. Live. Alrighty. So we've got a minute then in three, two, one. Italian Boris Karloff. Three out of five. Making me turn around. Two out of five. Specters and vampires. Three out of five. Telephone ring. Three out of five. Very nice apartments. Four out of five. Venetian blinds. Four out of five. It being nothing. Three out of five. Disguising your voice with a handkerchief. One out of five. Christian Merrick as horse that runs away. <laughs> Two out of five. Pillow knife. <laughs> Three out of five. Being closer than the police. Three out of five. Cursive technology. <laughs> Four out of five. I'm cold. <laughs> Four out of five. Talking shop again. Three out of five. The big, oh. the big bright moon. Who? Uh, three out of five. Doing to what to his grandson? <laughs> three out of five. Skeleton roommate. Three out of five. Deathbed theft. Three out of five. A neon sign right your way. Oh, 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 no, oh. I almost did it that time. Okay. I almost did it. Uh, we have a few leftovers, though. So when it comes time for our season finale, we'll work those into a, a grand season four rundown and see how many of those Christian can get through. Uh, alrighty. Well, we are coming to the end of our episode, Cookie Pocket, episode 89. Uh, thank you for being here today, Connor. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, to plug before we leave today? Um, I mean, other than uh, a wonderful short film called The Search for Alexander, which yeah. uh, you should look out for in festivals near you. Um, also, uh, Projection, a short film that I, I shot with Samantha Giordano, who was the, the director of Projection, but also the cinematographer for the, the other half of Zach's little project, which um, hopefully will be in festivals soon and you know maybe up on, on YouTube in a year or two. Yeah, just thanks for having me on, fellas. No Absolutely. Yeah, no Great problem. to have you. Yeah. All right. Well, good night from all of us here at Cookie Pocket, and uh, ha have, a, have a spooky day, I Dream guess. Dream about us. We'll become and friends. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. And stay insatiably horny. <laughs> Goodbye. Hello, Cookie Pocket listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We were so enjoying our guest host, Connor Drake's company, and discussing Black Sabbath that we forgot to preview our next podcast. The subject of our next will be Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So grab those fedoras, satchels, and whips, and join us for what we hope is a fitting conclusion and not another unnecessary sequel. Hope to see you then. Mm -hmm.